0: Well, I wanna talk to you today about the kingdom of God again. Uh, In Mark chapter one, Jesus begins his ministry and it says he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. So Jesus begins his ministry talking about the kingdom. For three and a half years, he explains how to live in the kingdom. And of course, he told us that the kingdom of God is not with observation. In fact, he said to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Most people look at Christianity and they don't realize what it is. Some think it's a philosophy. Some think it's good moral teaching. Uh, Others would say it's a religion. But what Jesus would tell you is it's a kingdom. In fact, he said to pray, your kingdom come. So he said it's here, but he also says, pray that it come. So it's here. It's not with observation. He told Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't see it. You'll mistake it. You'll think it's a philosophy. You'll think it's morality. you'll, you'll, You'll miss what it really, really is. And so it's here, it's in you, and it's coming. In fact, Jesus told us that it's going to be enforced when he returns. In fact, back in the book of Jude, now the Bible is divided into an Old Testament and a New Testament. And uh, in the New Testament, the second to the last little portion uh, was written by Jude. And he said this in the 14th verse. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, so seven generations from Adam, prophesied about these men also. Now, his first prophecy was about Noah's flood, and he hit that one right on the money. He said, behold, the Lord comes. Now, every single New Testament author, without exception, talks about Jesus' return. And here Jude's talking about it. He says he's coming with 10,000s or 10,000s times 10,000s times 10,000s of his saints. So he's going to come and if you go to, to heaven before he comes, you're going to come back with him because he's coming with his saints to execute judgment on all. To convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh sinners which are things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So Jesus will come when he returns and he will execute judgment. He will write Every single wrong that has ever been done. So he preached the kingdom of God's at hand. The kingdom is in you. And then when he arose from the dead, after three and a half years of explaining how to live in the kingdom, it says, and being with them during 40 days and speaking to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So after the resurrection, Jesus spends 40 days. And what does he talk about? The kingdom of God. You know, I'm going to talk to you for, I don't know, five or six weeks about the kingdom, but imagine this. I mean, that, that's just like, man, six hours or something. no, less than that. Jesus spent 40 days and he talked about the, the kingdom. I remember a number of years ago, I did, uh, I think, 12 weeks on Second uh, Corinthians 5:17, that if anyone's in Christ, you're a new creature, a new creation. And I remember a lady in the congregation, sweet lady, uh, she came up to me and she said, if you quote 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone's in Christ one more time, I will scream. <laughs> and, and I thought to myself, maybe she's starting to get it. Just start. Jesus spent 40 days after the resurrection, after three and a half years of talking about the kingdom, then he spends 40 more days explaining to them the kingdom of God. And he said, and he's with them, and he said, don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you've heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so Jesus begins to talk to them about the kingdom of God, and he's talking about baptism. That's interesting. Baptism. Now, the book of Hebrews in chapter 6 talks about the doctrine of baptisms. Everybody goes, ums, ums. So it's not one baptism. There's multiple baptisms. In fact, in 1 John chapter 5, it says, there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. Now, the Spirit, water, and blood, all of those are talking about baptism. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, By one Spirit, we're all baptized into one body. It says the Spirit, water, and blood. They agree. Now, what happens at conversion? When a person receives Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes them and baptizes them into the body of Christ. It's automatic. He takes you and puts you into the body. That is really why it is impossible to be a Christian at home. Think about that. You can't be a Christian at home because you're supposed to be part of a body the first thing that happens that's why over 30 times in the new testament we're told to pray for one another to bear one another's burdens to forgive one one another one another one another one i mean you can't one another at home you got to be you got to be in a body to one another christianity is not a spectator sport it is a participating sport all right you got to be in a body all right so so it, it's kind of like Because really, the church is the bride of Christ. Now, if you said to me, I really like you, but I think Jeannie, she sucks. How many of you know we will not get along? It is not going to happen. All right, she's my bride. And when you say, I like Jesus, but I think the church is bad, you know what? Jesus reacts the same way. And remember, you've been taken by the Spirit, and he puts you into the body of Christ. You can try to take yourself out, but where you belong is in the body. Where you will grow is in the body. Where you will find your function is in the body. So the first one, the Spirit, then it says the water. Well, we just saw people get water baptized. Jesus said, when he arose and appeared to his disciples, go into all the world, to teach the gospel to every creature, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. It's something that's supposed to happen. The day of Pentecost, the church is being born. Peter preaches and says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. What's he talking about? Water baptism. And I think it's interesting. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise of the Spirit. It's to you, to your children, to, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord your God will call. So we have the Spirit taking and putting us into the body of Christ. We have water baptism, which is not just a ceremony. At water baptism, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6 that you're, you're identified, you're buried with Christ, and you come up to live by the power of God in newness of life. There is a spiritual energy power. The Holy Spirit is present to take and make that person, uh, literally, to separate them from their past, from things that try to follow them. Now, we've taught on that before. But now, this baptism in the Holy Spirit, listen to, to uh, Hebrews nine fourteen. How much more shall the blood of Christ It's the Spirit, the water, and the blood, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. They agree. They agree. And it's literally, what it's telling us is there's three baptisms that every believer should pass through. The Spirit of God baptizing them into the body of Christ water baptism, and then spirit baptism. Now, that's what Jesus is teaching on as he's with his disciples in Acts chapter 1. And he said, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. So the, the goal of these three baptisms br- puts you into the body of Christ, separates you from the world that you're coming out of. In fact, remember, Peter's preaching Acts 2, and he says, be saved from. Now, if you ask most Christians, what do you get saved from? They'd say, well, I get saved from my sins. I get saved from hell. But he said to be saved from this perverse generation. See, when you get saved, you come out of this perverse generation and you're put into the kingdom of God. It is another kingdom. It's different. That's why the angel, as the apostles are in prison, breaks them out, says, go to the temple and teach all the things pertaining to this new life, this new life because when you're in Christ, life is supposed to be different. It's not you just keep living the way that you were and now you're forgiven. No, you're, you're saved from this perverse generation. So he says, you're going to be a witness unto me. Now, when, when most of the time when we talk about witnessing, people get very nervous. But I want you to think about what a witness is. You go to a court. And they will have that witness probably put their hand on a Bible and they lift their other hand and they swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And then they're supposed to, the witness is supposed to tell what they have seen, what happened to them, what they experienced. That's what the witness is supposed to do. And literally, that is what we are supposed to do as Christians. We're supposed to tell somebody what we have seen, what we've experienced, what happened to us. What has God done in our life? Now, in Acts chapter nine, we find the story of the conversion of the apostle Paul. Now, Paul was a Pharisee; he was a Jew. He hated Christians. He's on his way to Damascus. He's going to arrest Christians, have them put in prison, have them whipped, and even even uh, some of them were stoned to death. And as he's going. Jesus appears to him in a vision and knocks him off his donkey, talks to him, sends him into the city of Damascus. And uh, the Bible tells us that in Damascus, Jesus speaks to a man named Ananias and said, go, I want you to go and pray for Paul because he's, he's praying to me. And uh, he goes, prays and Paul's eyes are opened and Paul's water baptized. And uh, there's, there's a large part of Acts chapter 9 Where that story is told. But here's what I think is interesting. Several years pass and now Paul is in Jerusalem and a bunch of Jewish men are mad at him because he's preaching. They're trying to 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 literally beat him up and kill him. A Roman group of Roman soldiers come and save him and they've got him up on some steps and he says, let me talk to these people. And so they let him begin to speak and he takes and he tells the same story. He said, I was on my way to Damascus at noon, and suddenly there was this bright light, and I fell off my donkey, and there was a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I said, who are you? And the voice said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, who you're persecuting, and he tells the story. In fact, he takes 11 verses to tell the story. A few years pass, and we, get, we find him in Acts chapter 26, and he's standing before Herod Agrippa, the king, and he begins to tell his story. Now, now, just to remind you, because so many Christians get kind of confused with, we talk about Herod, because when Jesus was born, Herod the Great tried to kill Jesus. He killed all the the baby boys in the area of Bethlehem. And then later there's a Herod and he gets eaten by worms. And then Paul is preaching to Herod. And it sounds like, what happened? He died and then he had worms and then he comes back to life. There's five Herods. Herod's like a family name. It's like Smith. So Herod's great-grandson, the one that tried to kill Jesus, Paul is in front of him and he says the same thing. He said, now I got authority from the Pharisees in Jerusalem to go to Damascus and I'm on the road about noon and here comes this bright light and it knocks me off. And he tells the story again. He takes nine verses to tell the story. And I think it's so funny the way that he starts his talk. This is what he said to the king. He said, I think myself happy. Now, by the way, he's been in prison for two years. And he says, I think myself happy today. Now, why is he happy? Well, one of the reasons that he's so happy is because he's going to get to share what God has done with him. He's just going to say, this is my story. By the way, how many of you have a story? If, 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 by the way, has God done anything for you? Just anything? Just curious. Okay. So he says, I think myself happy because I'm going to get to tell my story. And I think the other reason he said, I think myself happy, is because 30 years before, when God knocked him off that donkey, he said to him, you're going to go, and you're going to stand before kings, and you're going to tell them the story. 30 years ago, Jesus said, you're going to stand before kings. And here he is for the first time standing before a king. And then in Galatians chapter 1, he tells the a story again. And then in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, have I not seen the Lord? Heaven I seen, he's, why is he said, heaven I've seen the Because he's already told them the story. In 1 Timothy 1.13, he tells them some of the story again. So, so there are six places right there where we find Paul's story in the Bible. Now, this is Paul who saw Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12 says he went to heaven and came back. And if you open your Bible and you get that New Testament part, he wrote 40% of the books in that New Testament. So this is the guy that writes the Bible. And when he's standing before people, what does he tell them? His story. He tells them his story. Because no matter what your story is, there are thousands and thousands of people that are looking for what God did for you. Your story, you know, is I I had no purpose. I was brokenhearted. Jesus healed me. I was addicted. Jesus set me free. It doesn't matter what your story is. We are supposed to be sharing that story. Here's the deal a man with a story, with a testimony, always wins over a man with an argument. Somebody can say, Well, I don't believe that, and I don't believe that. You can say, Yep, but this is what happened to me. And the person with the story always wins over the person with an argument. You're like the blind man who Jesus healed. And he said, I don't know everything. He said, but this one thing I know. Once I was blind, but now I can see. Once I had no peace, but now I have peace. Once I was addicted, now I'm set free. Once I had no peace and was on all kinds of drugs and tranquilizers, but now my heart is full of peace. Once I had no purpose, but now I have purpose. Once I lived with guilt and condemnation, but now I'm free. This one thing I know. I was blind. I was bound. I was purposeless. I was addicted, but now I am free. Yeah. Your story. Your story. The guy that writes the Bible just keeps telling his story because Jesus said, when you've received the Holy Spirit, you'll receive power to tell your story, to be a witness. You can just put in there, tell my story. Tell my story. Uh, I think it's interesting that that when Jesus is in Samaria at the well, his disciples have gone to town, a little town called Sychar, and and they went to buy some food and they left Jesus. And a woman comes to draw water, and she's a Samaritan. And the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. For centuries, there's been this rift. And so Jesus said to her, could I please have a glass of water? And she said, how dare you, a Jew, talk to me, a Samaritan, and ask for water? And Jesus said, well, if you knew, he said, that I could give you living water, and you would drink of that water, and you'd never thirst again. She said, well, give me some of that water. And Jesus said, go call your husband. And she said, she said well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said to her, you're telling the truth because you've had five husbands and the man you're shacked up with now, you're not married to him. And she said, I perceive you are a prophet. Very perceptive. Very perceptive. And Jesus, she said to Jesus immediately, this is what she said. She said, well, you Jews, you worship in Jerusalem. But we Samaritans, we worship here in this mountain. He said, now, when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us what the truth is. Now, you know what she immediately begins to do? She begins to argue. She brings up some religious tradition, doctrine, and begins to argue. And Jesus simply said, well, I I am that Messiah that you're looking for, and let me help you out. But you know, what people so often do is when you begin to talk to them, if if they're going to bring up some doctrine. But you know what? Jesus didn't say, you'll go and argue doctrine. But he said, he says, you'll just be a witness. You will just simply tell what it is that God has done for you. Now, I don't remember if it was 1984 or 1985. I went to Houston, Texas because uh, that's where C.L. Jackson preached, Reverend C.L. Jackson. Now, he was T.D. Jakes before T.D. Jakes was. And and I I believe he was the greatest preacher in America. He was definitely the greatest preacher I'd ever heard. So I go down to his church, the Missionary Baptist Church of uh, Houston, Texas. And uh, he had a wood podium. And on each side of that podium, he had a garbage truck. Because he got saved, and it, every time I listened to him, he did say, he'd tell his story, just a little bit of his story, about how he got saved behind a garbage truck. And then how God turned his life around, and how God delivered him, in the things that God had done. I, I, I remember I went down there, I bought three years worth of his tapes. How many kid, you kids don't even know what a tape is, do you? I mean, I I had boxes, boxes of tapes. I'm coming back on the airplane. I got boxes of of tapes, man. Man. Uh, But what he did every time, showing that dump truck, that dump truck, that, that garbage truck, and saying, this is where God found me. This is what God did for me. As great a preacher as he was, he understood that the thing that touches people's lives more than anything is going to be your story. What God has done for you. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand, taking paths which He prepared ahead of time for us. You know, no matter who you are, if you're a believer, God has prepared paths for you, opportunities for you. He has things that He's planned for you to do. He wants you to, one of those things is to talk about your story. In 1 Peter 1 and 18, it says, knowing that you weren't redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from the aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers. Now, I I don't know what your lifestyle was, but the Bible calls it aimless conduct in the King James. The Message Bible says, to get you out of that dead end, Empty headed life you grew up in. Another translation says your empty lifestyle. Another one says your worthless way of life. Your empty way of life. Living a worthless, meaningful, futile, vain way. What God wants for you is He wants you to understand that when you become a Christian, there is a new way of living, it's a new life not just I'm forgiven and I keep on doing everything the way that I did before. Now, the angel told them, you go and you tell them all the words of this life or this new life. Psalmist said, I will tell of all of your wonderful works. I was brought up in church. We went to church every Sunday morning and every Sunday night. My, my sister, Deb, was here in, in the last service and as close as I can remember, and she can remember, I missed church three times in 20 years. And, and because I played hooky so I could watch Lassie at night. Right. And we had to start playing hooky, but you know, we had to act like we were sick about two o'clock to miss the six o'clock service. And otherwise, didn't matter if we were sick, we had to go. But we just went. But here's the deal. Uh, it just whatever was happening never penetrated my heart. In fact, I, I, I hated going to church. I hated the catechism classes. I hated the music. Uh, I, I just didn't. I, 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 my, my thing was when I leave home, I'm done. The church thing, it's done. And I, I was attending Kelvin College at the time and every morning about 10 30 I had a, a break and I'd I'd go to the gym and I'd run around the track and and there was this little skinny guy named Jim and he started running with me so he could tell me his story and I'd just outrun him just laid him in the weeds you know but but one, one day I lapped him and uh he says now there's there's this new church meeting at Jeremy's party place and I thought a church had a party place that sounds good he says you should go on Sunday night just check it out And so I thought, well, I'll just go. So I I went to this church at Jeremy's Party Place. And I don't, you know, there was like 40 or 50 people there. And I don't remember what the pastor talked about at all. But the thing that touched me was the worship. I I, I had just never in my life felt the Spirit of God. But in that worship service, I felt the Spirit of I, I felt God in that service. And I remember after the service, I just kind of hung around and a guy that used to live across the street we used to play when we were kids, Bruce Roberts, he came up to me and, and uh, he said, uh, did you like the church service? And I said, yeah. And he said, did you like the preaching? And I said, yeah, but I didn't really because I didn't know what he said. And he says, uh, did you like the worship? And I went, oh yeah, that was great. And he began talking to me and he said, you know, he said, uh, you, you, you should receive Jesus and be saved. In the church that I went to, What I understood was that God had decided beforehand, some people were going to go to heaven, some people were going to go to hell. It's kind of like before the world, he kind of lined everybody up and went duck, 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 goose. It was kind of like hell, 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 heaven, 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 hell, 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 hell. And whatever you ducked, you know, that's what you were. And if you were going to be saved, you had to be saved. And if you were going to go to hell, you just had to go to hell. And there was nothing you could do about it. It was just, it was already decided and you were going to either or you weren't, so that's what I'd always heard. And, and he opens this Bible to Romans 10, and he shared two verses with me. He shared Romans 10, 13, which became my life verse. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Romans 10, 9, if you will confess with your mouth Jesus as your Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He said, you can be saved right now. You can be forgiven. I'd never heard that in my life. I've been, for church. I've been to church for 20 years. I'd never heard that you could be saved like that. You could pray and receive Jesus. I'd never heard an altar call. I'd never seen a person receive Jesus. Never in my life. He said that to me. And he said, do you want to get saved? And I said, yes. So we pray right there. I received Jesus. He said to me, now, he said, when you go to school tomorrow, I was at, at Calvin College. He said, uh, and, and you see this guy, Ted, who was one of the guys I hung out with. We used to go drinking together. He said, when you see Ted, he said, uh, you tell him you got saved last night. So I go to college the next morning. And we used to hang out on the third floor in one of the corners where there were a bunch of desks, seven, eight of us. And I, I went up there and there's Ted. And I said, Ted, I said, last night I went to church. I prayed, I received Jesus. I'm forgiven. I'm a new person in Christ. I'm saved. And, and listen, he said things I can't tell you. He said, he says, he said his vocabulary was, not good for church, all right. Huh? But, but, but you, do you know what? Now, here's the craziest thing. Because I thought if I get saved, I'm never going to have fun again in my life. I really did. That's what I thought. You know, you get saved, and you're a Christian, and you look like you've been baptized in pickle, pickle juice for the rest of your life. You know, you're just sad. and That's what I thought. But here's the crazy thing. I used to, at our house, you had to read the Bible. Every time we had a meal, we read the Bible after we ate. And I would just sit there like, I hated it. But now, all of a sudden, I want to read the Bible. We would come home from church, and we had in our living room a television that had an AM, FM radio, and a record player. Now, how many remember that? You're old. Do you remember that, you are old. So every, night, every Sunday night, we'd get home from church. My dad would go over to that thing. He'd get that FM thing on WFUR. And then he was in World War II, and he was hard of hearing, and he cranked it way up. And I, remember I would go to my bedroom, and I would lay on my bed, put my, I put my pillow over my ears, and I'd just go, I hate that music, I hate that music, I hate that music. Now, here's the crazy thing. Nobody said you need to change your music, but all of a sudden, the music I didn't like, I started to like. And all of a sudden, the Bible I didn't want to read, I couldn't read enough of it. And the things that I used to want to do, I didn't want to do. And the things that I used to not wanted to do, I wanted to do. You see, when you get saved, you get a brand new want to her. <laughs> Nobody says, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. All of a sudden, on the inside, you are a brand new person. And your desires change. It's not that you're not going to have fun anymore. You're going to have more fun than you ever had in your life. All <laughs> right? But… You've got a story. You've got a story. Something that God has done for you. And what God wants you to do is he wants you to be a witness. Just tell somebody what God has done for you. That's the, the, the guy that wrote the Bible. That's what he would do. That's what he did when he stood before thousands of angry people. That's what he did before, when he stood before a king. That's what he did when he showed up at church and when he was trying to win people to Christ. He would just tell his story, tell his story. There is nothing as effective as what God has done for you. Jesus talked to them about things pertaining to the kingdom of God and said, you will become a witness for me. Not tell people a bunch of theology, not tell them, uh, give them a sermon, but just tell them, this is where I was. And this is what God has done for me. Once I was blind, but now I can see. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? If you're here today, but not where you should be with God, I think you know that God loves you. But there is nothing that you could have ever done to keep him from loving you. To keep him from offering you forgiveness and a brand new life. There is no no life that was so dark, no sin so shocking, no attitude so bad, no sex so perverted, no relationship so appalling, no pit so deep, no addiction so dreadful, no life so empty that Jesus will not take his blood and cleanse you and make you new. God specializes in impossibilities. That's why Paul said, you look at me, and I was the worst, but God took me. I think he's saying to you today, come home. And you're not here by accident. You're here because we prayed that you'd be here. Because God's Spirit is drawing you. And in my Father's house, Jesus said, there's a place for you. And if you're here today, and you say, I want to pray, a prayer of forgiveness and surrender to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand in just a moment. When I say three, we're going to pray together and God's going to meet you right here in this place. As you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying is this. I am coming to Jesus today to be saved, to be forgiven, and to give him my life. One. As you lift your hand, you're saying, I'm going to surrender all of my life. I'm going to hold nothing back. I'm going to receive Jesus as my Lord, my Savior, and my king two as you lift your hand you're saying Jesus is going to come into my heart he's going to make me a new person on the inside my sins are going to be forgiven I'm going to be a part of this kingdom and I'm going to be on my way to heaven three lift your hand up pray with me I'm not right I want to get right thank you I see that hand that hand and that hand are there others thank you God bless you up in the balcony thank you God bless you Someone else, thank you, God bless you, God bless you. Another hand in the back here, thank you, God bless you. All right. Right over here to my right, thank you, God bless you. I'm going to ask everybody right where you are, please just take one hand, place it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven. We're going to pray together with those that lifted their hand. Now make these words your own, just say it out loud, just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. He is my king, my Lord, and my savior. I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever in Jesus name. Amen. Awesome. Awesome.